Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We've got a new sponsor that you guys are going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your teams win, you're in cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 7,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.symbol.com to create a free account, and when you deposit, make sure to use the promo code SD to make your deposit risk-free. Visit Symbol.com and use the promo code SD and your deposit will be risk-free. That means even if you lose money, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? It's not every day you can double your money. But with MyBookie, you double your money instantly thanks to their double deposit bonus for all new users. With MyBookie's double deposit bonus, when you sign up at MyBookie.ag and use my promo code SPORTSDRINK, you'll instantly receive double your initial deposit so you can kickstart your betting experience with all the best games, leagues, and casino options to choose from. Set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using promo code SPORTSDRINK at MyBookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRINK to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with MyBookie. The Spotify Greenroom app. It's a live audio-only sports talk platform. It's free to download and to use. It's available on iPhones and Androids now. You can talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Now, Spotify Greenroom is free. Audio-only social media platform for sports fans. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app free in the iOS App Store or for your Android. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join whatever league group you want. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, welcome everyone. This is Saturday, December 11th. That's where we're recording this, uh, this special edition of The Bird Calls. And I'm David Grubb, and I'm joined by our editor-in-chief at thebirdrights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. We're going just one-on-one today. Um, some of the other guys just weren't available. But also, Ali and I like to have these one-on-one conversations every now and then uh, to, to cut out a little bit of the extra debate and get right to the heart of the things that folks want to talk about. Um, not that we don't miss the guys, because we do, don't we, Ali? No, exactly. I mean, in the past, we usually like to always uh, chat it up with all of them because it's always good to get a lot of perspectives on a lot of different topics. But considering we're going to be focusing, I know, mainly on Zion and the fact that you and I also like to subdue just one on one between you and I and they turn out really well. It's been a while since we've done it, so I'm glad we're doing it. Right. Um, So let's start with, of course, the news of the day. Zion Williamson, the Pelicans issued a statement, and this started really 
for you um, yesterday, uh, you were at the game where the Pelicans pulled out the, the win against the Pistons. Um, you were there, and early on, there was a semblance of a feeling that that some news was coming about Zion. And today we got that news. And it's not, it, we thought it wasn't going to be particularly good. And it's not. Um, essentially, Zion has not healed to the point where they thought he would. He's still experiencing a lot of soreness. Um, they have taken him off of basketball activities again. And Ali, you, this is a conversation you and I have had multiple times. We had pushed the deadline all the way to the end of December, maybe January at the earliest. Now you'd have to imagine, imagine that sitting out the season is on the table for Zion Williamson. 100% absolutely. Um, right now, I think every possibility is up in the air. Whether he just needs some time to heal this up, the soreness goes away, he can resume and get back on the court. Maybe he, uh, the soreness goes away, he starts trying to come back, and yet there, another setback occurs. Or let's say right now they were talking about how in this press release there's been some regression, right, with the bone healing. So they're hoping the rest works. But in the past when this has happened with other athletes, and we'll get to it, They've had to have another surgery. So I think that's also on the table. So like I said, I don't want to guess. You and I don't like to do guessing. But yes, every possibility is really on the table. Yeah, the guy that most recently had was in a similar situation is Kevin Durant. Um, And Durant missed an entire year and had to have multiple surgeries. He really missed more than a year. Um, didn't, Didn't KD just miss 27 games? He kept on trying to come back. Remember, well, that, he, remember he the first started, year he sat out he completely misses. in Brooklyn. He sat out that first year completely in Brooklyn. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not talking about the Achilles. I thought you were referring to when he had the Jones fracture in 2015. Yeah, I'm talking about the foot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah I want to – okay, yeah, I'll let you talk about this because I want to talk about the actual Jones fracture. Uh, what was it, six years? Yeah, okay, yeah, the, the original one for KD, and he had to have the, the – that was that was when he was still at uh, uh, KD's Jones fracture, I think, was – it was 2014-15 where the Pelicans snuck in, remember? Into the That's playoffs. right, when he was at Oklahoma yeah. City, and he missed so much of that season. That's the reason the Pelicans made the playoffs. Because I remember we talked, about, we talked about this multiple times, is that Pelicans got in the playoffs over the Thunder by one game, and Katie missed 60 games almost that season. Exactly. Up until that point, KD had hardly ever missed any games. It was just a handful of games over his first, I want to say, six or seven years of his career. Then 2014-15, before the start of the year, he uh, had that dreaded Jones fracture. And so they estimated he would miss about six to eight weeks and roughly maybe the first 16 games of the schedule. Well, he came back in game number 18. But the problem was he didn't last very long. You know, he started having issues with the foot, particularly soreness, right? So that's why I think this is so pertinent to our discussion today because it's so far been following kind of Zion's timeline. Now, I know he returned quicker, but he's been showing those same symptoms. And that soreness led him to having to have another procedure in February to where I want to say he missed about another week. And uh, what, what they discovered was that it wasn't that the bone wasn't healing, but that there was the screw that was in there. It was rubbing up against the bone. Yep. And so they decided, well, let's just remove that screw and um, see what happens. I think they may have replaced it with something else, but I don't know the details. I'm, I'm working on that for a story, which I'm going to write up tonight, but... He came back and he still had that soreness uh, on and off, David. And so he finally was shut down a little bit later um, to where he ended up only playing 27 games that season. Ended up having to do a bone graft. Um, And I'm curious if Zion's, you know, basically headed maybe for that same kind of trajectory and outcome. 
Yeah, that and the thing with Durant again, and and this goes into the different conversations about Zion. Um, Kevin Durant physically is not the same anywhere close to what Zion Williamson is as far as body development. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant's basically seven foot tall and still weighs forty five pounds to sixty pounds, depending on what you think Zion's weight is on any given day. Anywhere between forty five and sixty pounds less than Zion, and he's five to six inches tall. So it's it's not the same there in that regard. And Kevin Durant struggled with that to, to, to get his body right. With Zion, let's start with, I think we need to take this from three different angles. We need to talk about Zion and his responsibility in this, the franchise and its responsibility, and then how does this roster move forward um, with that? So let's continue on the Zion part of this. We don't know all the information about this injury. We've never gotten it. We don't, the the Pelicans still refuse to tell us specifically what type of fracture this was. And And David, you know where that's coming from. That's the direct orders of his family, right? Right. I I, I guarantee you we don't have information because of that, where they always listen to or readily agree to do whatever is that at their behest, right? Their best wishes for their son. They think that let's keep information limited. Therefore, he's not talked about and his injuries as much. So far, it's been backfiring. <laughs> so let's let's take those different parts. First, in Zion's strategy, however it is, whether it's him or his team, their strategy of limiting the information about Zion's injury going back to its original occurrence sometime this summer. We've never really got an official date on when it happened. But sometime this summer, we'd assume around June, July. Uh, July, I think, was when we really – became aware of it though the injury could have happened before then we don't know sometimes you break a bone and you just move around whether you think your foot's sore so we really don't know when it happened but this whole strategy of not giving not being fully up front at least in terms of this injury is kind of serious it could take this much time we have never gotten that how much blame do we put on zion or how much responsibility i don't want to use the word blame how much responsibility do we put on zion williamson himself and his people in the dissemination of information about that injury? I think a fair bit. I mean, I don't know if you're looking for a specific number here. No, I mean, I, we can't, okay. but I mean, yeah, is it a lot of, yeah. you know, the generality of it? Yeah, I mean, a good sum, right? You got to think a significant sum. So to me, to me, in my head, that's like anywhere from, what, 30 to like, you know, upwards to anything well over 50, right? So, yeah, he's he's definitely owes the franchise, the fans, everybody – an explanation, just giving the basic facts and the details of what the heck happened. Um, we have only heard from him once since he sustained this injury. And of course, everybody knows that was back on media day. He has not gone in front of a camera since. And it just doesn't sit right with me. I don't care that you don't have any good news to talk about. But you've got to, you know, as, as a person who is considered the face of this franchise, who's considered one of the rising young superstars, right? A generational talent. You can't just get in front of the cameras during the good times. And, you know, we honestly kind of talked about this in years past, right? First year we wrote it off. He barely played. He was a rookie. But last year we didn't like that his answers in a lot of the post games after bad losses were kind of company towing the line, you know, those those basic, David, you, you remember what I'm talking about. Just like, yeah, we didn't play well enough or if this had gone right, right? It wasn't genuine. And that's, I guess, what I'm kind of driving at. So Zion has never been real with any of us at any point. And like I said, you can write it off during his first year as a rookie. But since that time, obviously, 
he's gotten a lot more responsibility to the point where now this team that we see on the court, this roster was built around him. And with him not being there, not being able to make, and we don't know this. See, this is where, this is why speculation it just, you know, it, it's like a wildfire. It grows so rampant because we don't know details. We don't even know what kind of fracture his fifth metatarsal sustained, right? I, I've heard different stories. I'll be honest with you. From some people that I trust, I've heard it. May, it's a Jones fracture. From others, they're clearly that it wasn't. But either way, we don't know, right, for sure. And the best person to tell us this would honestly be from Zion himself, Um and I honestly don't have a good reason for why they continue to go down this road because the backlash, you know, David's been there since you want to say maybe since the bubble has gotten pretty darn bad um, to where he's been kind of held under a bigger microscope and rightfully so as, as, as along with this franchise. So yeah, short, short story. Now I think that he's continuing to do himself a disservice by continuing to go down this road. I think with this latest setback, I would hope that either he or at least David Griffin under, you know, after having some consultations with Zion, come out and, and just give us more details, right? Because we're just stuck here guessing, right? As to where people want to know, when's he coming back? Is he going to have to have another surgery? What really happened? What kind of fracture? We can't answer a single darn question. And that that's terrible, man. We're here on December 11th. Teams eight and twenty that was built around him, and we've got no answers. No, and that's that's consistently frustrating in this because the easiest way to put people um, at ease and and not necessarily you know nobody's ever going to feel you know when somebody's injured you always have concerns, um, but I think if people just felt like they were being told the truth, and that's been a problem with this franchise going back a while. Um, if people felt like they were being told the truth, it's a lot easier to deal with these types of things. You start understanding, you say, okay, I'm not going to get myself. And I think that's part of it too, is you get yourself in a constant stop and start. And why offline, you and I have had this conversation where I said, I don't want to talk about Zion's return until he's, until I hear his name announced. And mm-hmm. now I think that's, that's the tone that a lot of this fan base is taking because they're frustrated. And that frustration yeah, ultimately, his team and the organization have not done him any favors in this because you do have to listen to Charles Barkley and Shaq talk about you, whether it's your weight or your return. You have people tonight on ABC talking about Design Williamson really want to be in New Orleans, and I don't think that's where he wants to be. And they're putting a lot of things on his character as an individual that I think, as an adult, at some point you'd want to address. Uh, I think you'd want people to know I'm a professional. I think you'd want to demonstrate I've done everything I possibly can. Because even if you don't want to be in New Orleans, you don't want to present yourself to other teams as somebody who's not willing to put in the work. And I don't, be- I can't believe that about Zion Williamson at this point. I believe that, like a lot of 21 year olds, he has some growing up to do about being a professional. But I don't believe that this guy doesn't want to be on the basketball court. I just refuse to believe that part of it. I do too. But yet that is exactly why you need to start addressing the public, giving us some details. Because that's as far, you know, you're allowing for speculation to go that far. And look, Kevin Durant could have easily in the Oklahoma City Thunder been a lot more secretive. But that year they divulged everything, right? They announced it was a Jones fracture. They announced he was having soreness, so he's going to have another procedure. 
Then they shut him down with a third surgery within six months. Again, detailing what we're going to do and, and, and regarding the bone graft. Of course, fans weren't happy, but you weren't allowing them to guess that maybe KD wants out. I don't remember once hearing that story that season. Why? Because everything was on the table. Kevin Durant was legitimately hurt. He was trying to get back on the court. He was trying to stay on there, but his foot wasn't cooperating. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. From everybody I've talked to behind the scenes, Zion wants to play. He's still very much um, has plenty of hopes with, with this roster. He loves these guys. He wants to be in New Orleans. From everybody I talk to, I keep hearing that. But yet I don't hear from him. And that, that to me is just a problem. The, the, both the organization shielding him from um, giving the answers that we want and him just personally avoiding us is not doing us any good. No, it really isn't. And what I think also for Zion is that it's important. And let's let's take a, a recent example, too, in, in how the, the Warriors have dealt with Clay Thompson. Mm-hmm. Clay has essentially missed two seasons, right? Yes. Uh, going back to that finals appearance. So he missed the, the, the bubble season. He missed all of last season. He's missed. He's going to miss half of this season. They expect him back sometime in January or, or February. But they have been up front, and Clay has been on media. Clay has done interviews. Even if it's not about his injury, he's still been present to let people know, I'm here. I'm showing you that I exist. I'm part of the team still. He appears with his teammates and not just in a supporting role. Clay is there sitting on the first row on the bench. He's not sitting on the second row. Exactly. And, and those little things tell people a lot, even if you don't mean them to. They send signals. And, and there's just a part of me that it's there's a, a similarity between what happened, what's happening with Zion and with Anthony, what happened with Anthony Davis, not in the sense of them wanting out, but in the sense of they have allowed other people to speak on their behalf and it's damaged their reputation. Yeah. So, David, let me ask you this. So how much blame would you um, put on Zion's shoulders for this whole mess? I think the blame that he has to hold is. Again, I don't know about a percentage, but I'll say these things are in his control. Number one, the way you represent yourself is in your control. Number two, I think he has not been diligent in his fitness. Um, but I think that happens to a lot of young players. We've seen the stories of guys who, who eat junk food all the time when they come to the NBA because they just don't know any better. I don't think that those resources have been unavailable to Zion Williamson. I think he has not taken advantage of them. I don't think that he has been that he has been assertive enough in himself to de- decide what and who he is as an adult. And I think that comes with being a professional. At some point, you have to take control of your career. Um, and he has not done that yet. I think it's a, we also dealt with that with Lonzo Ball in, in, in a way, that it, it, it took a while for him as a, as, as a young player to decide to step out of the family shadow. Um, and, and I feel like Zion has to take control of that. Mm-hmm. And then the ultimate part of this is, we are left, we have always been left with this from day one, whether it was with Alvin, whether it was with Stan last year, and now this year. We're also having, we've been forced to speculate about his relationship with these coaches, which in turn has affected how we perceive the coaches. And I think all of those things are things that are within Zion's control, things that he could have spoken about, things that the face of a franchise should talk about when it's time to do those things. He could easily step in and say things that are not political political um, as far as his relationship with those, with those folks. But it just doesn't seem like there's been this investment on his part fully in what a professional NBA basketball player should be 
And that is my problem with him. I think he's he's been very immature in how he's handled his career. I can't blame people for getting hurt. I can't do that. That's not fair. But I can blame them with how they – I can deal with how they deal with those injuries. I can deal with how they deal with situations. And I think Zion has been far too passive in all of these cases in how he's dealt with himself. Exactly, David. I want to just add to it that I know he hears some of this noise. You don't go – entering your third year of the NBA and, like I said, being one of the biggest faces in the league without hearing some of this stuff. So it's gotten back to him, and I'm just curious as to why we haven't seen him. And here's the reason for it, because I think the reason I say that I think he wants to be in New Orleans is because I have gotten glimpses of him in practice um, or when, when he's gotten done working before a game, stuff like that. And, and he gets along famously with the coaching staff, with the, with the rest of the guys. I mean, you would never even suspect that if you were in New York and you're reading these stories about him possibly wanting to come join Knicks, you would possibly expect those to even exist after what I've seen. So I don't understand if it's truly what my eyes are telling me is true. Then why is it so difficult just to go ahead and put to bed those those raging fires in the background that are really creeping closer and closer to the foreground? Because if you're not going to get on the court and let your play do the talking, well, that silence isn't going to go away and it's only going to get, and the noise is only going to get louder. So I just feel like he, and, and we, we understand he's 21 years old, but as in your third year, you've got to have start showing some of that maturity because of who you are and you know, your place in this game and you, therefore you carry that responsibility. And even though you are kind of camera shy and you don't really like to speak, especially about yourself, that's just something you have to do. I know that a young Kobe Bryant started doing that. Um, there was plenty of other players. Of course, they had that brashness, right, David? They had that mm-hmm. superb type A personality that they both wore on the sleeve and kept inside of them that I don't think maybe Zion's got, but he owes it. He, he's got to do that. And I just can't imagine if he doesn't play at all this year and he doesn't step in front of the camera once. Can you imagine by the time the season comes to an end, what's going to be written and said? I mean, it's going to be unbelievable. I hope to goodness that he and his family understand this and they avoid it by changing uh, gears. And a lot of this is not has nothing to do with talking to the press per se. It's mm-hmm. about the things that he does around the team. It's it's be there. Uh, it's well, he has been. That, that's what I was trying to say. He is I'm, on the, I mean, I'm yeah. talking about like be there and be like actually be engaged and it feels like Zion more often than not is a part of the team but not involved in the game I feel like he is David because I'm there at every game at every practice I feel like he is if you know Zion and his personality he's doing just as much as you probably would expect him to do honestly during the time like on game day on the bench you know is he involved in the timeouts? Is he looking at huddles? Is he talking to people? I'm asking he you. He is talking to people. Yes, he does. He's not in the middle, of course, of the huddle, but he's on a periphery. I've seen him talk to people on the side, stuff like that. So, yes, it's a shame that we don't get that reporting, though. It's not yeah. out there for people to read. No, and you don't get that on camera either. They're not right. the way that, that – and I think that, that, again, that's part of the disservice for both him and that organization. So let's go to the organizational response in this and their duty in this. We saw, as we talked about the release today, and compare it to going back to the beginning of the season when we talked about how Memphis dealt with Dylan Brooks, when we talked about how organizations have dealt with other injured players. And and even yesterday when you talked about David Griffin, you knew this stuff was, this was being communicated yesterday. We know this. 
But again, the way it's being packaged is that you you are not, this is so big and so momentous for this organization and for this fan base. To me, doing it this way, doing it through a press release on a Saturday was the worst possible way to handle this. Well, David, you know what they say about bad news, right? News dumps on Fridays and or the weekend. So it's not completely unexpected to me. Um, But I'll be honest with you. Either way, the organization, of course, has blame in the fact that they have been at least an accessory to how this matter has been decided and handled by those powers that be. And like I said, that's that's Zion's camp. The Pelicans, they and David Griffin, the front office, everybody, they are doing what you would expect from any small market team, maybe even some bigger market teams. And that is you acquiesce to your biggest name, your biggest face the guy that's really why you're on the map or you're hope to be on the map someday. Uh, we've seen it. So it's not, Zion's not that rare example in my book. Um, so while, while I say that in one sense, the organization still has gone along with it at each turn. Right. And that's why right. we've had such limited information. That's why Griff was kind of mysterious on that media day. I wish more of us had picked up on it. I did. He didn't say that he would be ready for the first day of the season. He just said, the season, right? He had high hopes at, at But he uh, knew at he was he pulled yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. I know. So I'm saying he already knew then, right? And so he was going kind of along with which whichever way that ship was headed, which was obviously nowhere but an iceberg. I still honestly can't believe that Zion in his mind, or maybe the doctors or his family thought whoever was responsible for it said on that day that he could he, he had every hope to be back for the start of the regular season. I'm still lost at how why that was even said. But either way, we I know we're focusing on the organization and they definitely bear a lot of, you know, a lot of this responsibility because the fans they want David Griffin fired. They have no trust in his organization. As you mentioned, I didn't watch the telecast but I heard on ABC they brought up the whole fact that it's the Pelicans versus Saints and that we're still that ugly, you know, stepchild living in the shack behind the mansion or something. And that's why the Pelicans are going to, you know, end up in Seattle or somewhere else. See, you've got to get rid of this image. And the only only way you do that is if the organization is honestly more transparent. And there's been absolutely zero, honestly, transparency ever since, or I should say regarding anything regarding Zion ever since he's gotten here. And it, it feels like it's deeper than that. Um, at times, but you know, again, I we saw this there at the end of the Anthony Davis era where we felt like it was wrong for the organization to keep putting Alvin Gentry out in the forefront to explain something that he didn't create and he couldn't fix. I feel like the Pelicans are doing that right now with Willie Green because we have to ask really Green the questions. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't have felt ask- that yet. I, I'm, I'll just say that, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm curious. Well, Willie Green has to answer the questions about Zion, just like yesterday, and saying, well, Willie, do you have an I don't have an update. I don't have an update. He's not supposed to have the update. He's the head coach. Why have we not talked to the medical staff or had Trajan or Griff come and make these updates themselves? Those questions unless it's a day-to-day injury. You know, if we're asking is is such and such, is Josh Hart going to be in the lineup tonight because of his foot or whatever, if it's that, or if it's somebody spraining an ankle, that's the head coach is supposed to relay that information. Long-term injuries like this to your franchise player, there should have been greater communication between the people who actually make that decision for Zion. Because we know, we know from this offseason that David Griffin has said, and we know from years past that David Griffin has said, 
Those are his decisions to make. That's not the coach's decision when it comes to, to Zion's health. Those are decisions that he and the, and the training staff are making. Well, if that's the case, and we all know this and you've said it, that's fine. But don't put Willie Green out there to answer Zion health questions. You, If you know yeah. that those questions are going to be, in, be asked, and they are every practice until you issue statements, then at some point somebody from the front office has to end that speculation other than the head coach. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, how many times have we talked to or seen anybody um, since media day? And wasn't it just once when Griffin talked or walked it once. back from saying that, right, he would be ready for the start of the season? And basically and said, said it was our fault. Yeah. yeah, that was the only time we've seen anybody, right, though? Yep. Yeah. See, that's, that. you're right. That's not good enough. For somebody whose light is as big as Zion's, for it just to be something that gets – talked about for two minutes with the head coach um, when there's an update uh, with the, the local media and there's only a handful of us. That's not enough. I agree with you. And then passing off any other information via updates um, as press releases. Again, that that's kind of just, you understand it if it's for a guy that's on a two-way contract or somebody else, but to consistently go that route with a guy like Zion. Um, I couldn't imagine this ever happening right in Los Angeles or New York or somewhere else. Right, David? Look, I mean, look at LeBron. Every time he's been hurt with the Lakers, we've gotten mm-hmm. full information on the injury. Right? Haven't we not? We got every time LeBron, it's his side. This is what the problem is. It's his abductor. We're going, he's going to be gone this much amount of time. Okay. Thank you. And, we, and then you don't worry about it. You, all we do is, you know, what folks do is they talk about this is what the Lakers look like when LeBron's not around. That's what we would be talking about. This is what the what the Pelicans look like when Zion's not around. But we would at least know what his injury was. And but we can move past that part to the other fault of the organization in my mind. And I and obviously, you know, I think we share some of this too. Is the organization has never been prepared, not since day one, going all the way back to summer league, when Zion got had the knee bruise in summer league. He played the one game against the Knicks, and he was done. Going all the way back to that, the franchise has never had a plan B for what to do when Zion is off the floor at that position. There was no backup for his rookie year other than, as you talked about, Nicola Melli. There was no backup at the four last year other than James Johnson in the last 20 games or so. And there was no legitimate backup for coming into this season. And you knew that Zion was going to be the primary ball handler that's what your expectation was in the half court at times. And you didn't get another a legitimate primary ball handler to go along with him when he's not on the floor. Those things fall squarely on the shoulders of who's ever making the personnel decisions in the front office. Yeah, that, that's, that's the one that really hurts. If you're interested in winning, the Pelicans have not done everything in their powers to give us a roster in case of, X, X scenario happening, right? And the biggest one is, of course, who soaks up the attention, the minute, whether it's at his position or his abilities on the court. Now, in the first year, it just flat out they didn't have another power forward. I mean, they they moved Brandon Ingram over to the four a lot. I remember them trying Dar- Darius Miller um, over there for a little bit. Hart played some four, probably for the first time really in his career. Um, but Either way, those teams, those I should say those lineups really struggled. And that Pelicans team didn't even begin to start taking off until Zion came back. 
right? That's when they had that 13-game losing streak that became a franchise worst. And then, yeah, ever since that time, you would have thought maybe they would have learned by then. But that second season is the one that I think we really had a big issue with because, again, you were going with somebody who was Nicola Melli, but didn't really fit playing the four, right? He didn't look good next to Derek Favors. I, if I remember right, they did not perform well statistically. And so, again, you come in with Melly as probably being, you know, one of the legitimate backups of Zion in his sophomore season. But thankfully, Zion played most of those games. But had he not, what was that backup plan? Or, or when he was even sitting, right, taking a breather. That's when you really notice the non-Zion lineups really getting really thrashed around. Uh, they did, as you mentioned, finally traded for James Johnson and J.J. Reddick deal. But again, here we are this season. And everybody did want to see a team structure around Zion. There's no doubt. He did not have the correct pieces next to him last year specifically. And so you wanted to alleviate that. But at the same time, let's just say when Zion's not on the court, say he's not injured, but who's going to be running that offense, right? You know, Devontae Graham's not that point guard. So when you move on from Lonzo Ball, who is going to be entrusted to carry that offense? Because honestly, Brandon Ingram, while he can initiate it at times, it's not his forte. It hasn't been yet, right, since he's put on New Orleans Pelicans uniform. So what was your legitimate backup plan there? Kyra Lewis, he wasn't for big uh, minutes. Nikhil, we've seen what happens when he gets too much responsibility. So, yeah, that's an issue. So now it's not so much as who can play the position behind Zion this year, coming in this season, whether he's hurt or not, but it's who can basically uh, take over a lot of those responsibilities on the court to make sure the offense is flowing. Because, boy, the reason the Pelicans went 1-12 out of the gates, David, they couldn't. They they went through at least quarters worth every game, if not more, of just the offense completely bogging down. And they've got some good pieces, right? Jonas Valanciunas can right. do what he does very well. Devontae Graham, you get him an open three, he can flat out splash it. Bi's been really darn good when he hasn't been hurt, and he's been available. Um, and you go up and down the roster, there's enough pieces there, so you feel like honestly, Pelicans shouldn't have gotten off to that one and twelve start. No, they had no business getting off to a 1-12 start. And even with this 7-8 and eight stretch that they've been in, and I wrote about this, and we've seen it statistically, when they win, they play extremely well on both ends of the floor. And it's predominantly because that defense turns into offense and it relaxes that team offensively. It, get, it allows Brandon to get into the groove that he needs to get into. But when they lose, they're still getting bogged down offensively because they don't have that option. They don't have that third option because we see teams are able to take away Jonas now for a quarter at a time, you know, because they are able to focus on him or at times they're sending two at Brandon and forcing him to be a passer and taking the ball out of his hands more than we've seen in the last two years. We've seen more double teams flying at Brandon Ingram, I think this year than we had ever seen in the previous mm-hmm. two seasons. And he's so seen even team, more than double teams, right? He's seen like yeah, three seen or triples. four sets of eyes. Right. And so to me, that's the, you know, when people talk about it's not part of the, the it's not the makeup of the roster they plan for Zion. That's the exactly the problem. If you only plan for the best case scenario, but <laughs> you are not prepared. Yeah, and, and David, one thing really quickly I want to interject because uh, mm-hmm. it's perfect for this moment is it's not that the Pelicans didn't try. And let's, let's go there because they wanted Kyle Lowry. They wanted some veteran point guard. But here's my thing. And I know this is exactly what you're saying here. They shouldn't have stopped there. Just because you couldn't get then, okay, your Lowry or whoever else to basically come in and fill some of that void, you can't just simply walk away from the table saying, well, we tried our top three, five, whatever amount of guys didn't work out. Nope, 
that's not that's not good enough. You got to at least bring in somebody, even in an Ish Smith or something. You know, you need some kind of fallback option. Because we talked about this, the Pelicans' biggest problem is not their ceiling; it's their floor. Yes. Their floor is so low, and that's why you get the kind of bad performances that they give you. Is because when those guys, when too many of those guys, and it only has to be like three, it only has to be three guys playing poorly to blow this whole thing on it on any given night. And that shows because they only have eight or nine guys that they can legitimately play. So if <laughs> if a third of that of those of those nine that you play are having terrible nights, then they're screwed because they need enough of those guys to play at least at their floor. And guys are playing at their at the at that their floor is just too low. It's a basement. It's not a ground floor. And and the Pelicans needed more floor raisers on that bench more professionals yes. more guys who are going to give you something that you could count on every night i don't want to only get seven points out of this guy every night but i'm gonna get seven every night and the pelicans yeah. don't have enough of those guys yeah they took a swing right we, we've got to mention here now that they put a lot of faith in garrett temple and thomas sadaransky being those two guys which well, was temple mistake. yeah the, the number screen that temple shouldn't be out on the floor i mean there's enough people on twitter talking about it i'm not going to rehash yeah. argument but i will say i've seen positives out of temple defensively moments within games they at least makes a positive contribution or he has good games flat out but for sataransky that's been one of the biggest whiffs i think of the nba season now granted he was not going to ever have a big role so nobody's gonna he's not going to make any top 10 lists right but for the pelicans sataransky being such a zero such a negative i mean just last night's game david i was floored by his two turnovers dribbling the ball up the court simply loses it once and then another time um what was it either he got an offensive rebound or the pelicans got one and he was dribbling back out and he carried the ball there was he didn't there wasn't hardly any pressure on him right the guy was kind of guarding him but it was enough to where he, he carried it i mean honestly right now sataransky doesn't look like a basketball player and that's a huge problem so i don't know if david i guess maybe we should go to this trade deadline is about, what is it, two, three months away. But a lot of trades will now be able to take place starting December 15th because a lot of players that were under over the summer are now going to become tradable. So if you're the Pelicans, if you're David Griffin, and you're looking at this roster, you started 1-12, and 12, now you're 7-8, and eight, are you considering, even if from all scenarios, whether Zion comes back or not, do you think that they should be looking at potentially making an upgrade or two? I absolutely do. Um, I just don't want them to make a swing for the fences type of upgrade because I don't think that deal is there. What they should be doing, and I don't want the Pelicans to tank. I don't want them to quit. What they should be doing is trying to find more of those veterans. If you're going to keep Garrett Temple around, like you say, you, the things that you, we like about Garrett Temple are the intangibles more so than the on-the-court stuff. Um, though he does at times, yes, bring stuff. He, has he was great against the Mavericks, moments. shutting down Doncic in that win. So he's um, at his moments. So, but what he brought is that maturity to talk to guys like yes. her, to yes. talk and explain things to talk to Kyra, explain this to them, and that somebody's got to do that. You need a couple of more of those guys. The thing with Billy, Billy's a veteran. Billy Ernegobis is a veteran in the sense that you know he's been in the league what five years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's twenty-seven. So he's in his fifth or sixth season in the NBA. What Billy does, no, it's not sustainable at 18.7 boards, but Billy gives you sustainable effort. And the Pelicans need more veterans who will give them, like you said, consistent production and sustainable effort. 
guys who understand. And I think this is when we'll talk about Brandon Ingram in a second, but I want to make this point before we do that. The thing about Brandon Ingram this year, we talked about this for him, is his lack of understanding in past years of how to get to his spots. Last night, Brandon Ingram specifically talked about, I know where I'm going on the floor with my with the ball. I know where I'm going to be to get my shots. We've seen the reduction in three-point mm-hmm. attempts this season. We've seen him embrace the fact that he is a mid-range shooter. That's who I am. I'm a mid-range shooter. And he's not taking nearly as many dribbles as the thing that bothered both of us in the years past. He's not dribbling mm-hmm. the ball ad infinitum. That's what the Pelicans need out of their veterans are guys who understand what their spot is, who are not trying to do something extra. I know my role. I live up to my role. And I think that's what they should be looking for are get rid of some of these young guys. And I know people want to be like, oh, we can't get rid of all the young guys. Some of you, we've talked about this for three years now too. You can't raise all these kids. A couple of them have to go in order for you to get the pieces that you need. Either it's got to be picks or one or two. And right now to be the guy that has to, the guy most likely to be moved or most, most deserving to be moved is Jackson Hayes. He can still get you something. He could get you a veteran. And if you have to use a pick to get that veteran, then I would do it. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with you because I feel like Jackson's in his third year and he gave a lot of people hope towards the what middle on of last season. And then of course, over the summer, hearing reports of him once, of course, he got away from the, 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 his personal matter out in L.A. with his girlfriend, that he had really become fixated on improving his game. And we supposedly he did that in Nashville, right, in the informal workouts. We haven't seen that guy, not not even once. And I feel like he's regressed just like a lot of people have to a guy that we saw in his rookie season. And when you're in your third year and you've got your, you know, your own, your next year's the last year of his rookie deal. And so you're going to be having to ponder paying him real money. I don't think the Pelicans should. I think that he needs, like I said, that change of senior because for whatever reason, it's not clicking for him. He's not putting in enough time, effort, and focus into just becoming a better basketball player. When you're still making the same fundamentally bad mistakes of not boxing out, not understanding where your rotations should be, um, you name it, David, within the flow of an offense or a defense, and he's just out of position. Or sometimes the effort's not there. The heart is missing. I mean, that, that's just an, an enormous problem. So you can't even talk about him even becoming a good contributor to the regular rotation if you can't even nail down these basics. And like I said, he's in year three. I understand he came in to the league as a guy with very few basketball, real basketball minutes under his belt, right? He's going to be a long-term project. He's supposed to be red-shirted, as everybody famously remembers David Griffin saying during that media day uh, three years ago. But that doesn't matter. We're so far past that point. So you're right. Yeah, you've got to. I'm with you. I think you've got to move on from some of these young guys because when I look at what options uh, Willie Green's got, he's only got like seven or eight guys that you can kind of trust on a night in, night out basis, right? Everybody else is either struggling right now, or is too young, or is having those issues of not even understanding and being able to produce what his role calls for, like a Jackson Hayes. I mean, Najee Marshall. Remember when we had hopes he would easily replace Josh yeah. Hart? Now I don't see it. And I know you and I have talked about it off camera, um, even on your radio show, on Twitter. And I've seen you apologize, praising how, what honestly, how invaluable Josh Hart has been in this team. So no, Najee Marshall's never going to, in my eyes, replace Hart. 
Uh, he can't even consistently earn minutes. And then that's the same thing for up and down the roster. Up until those last 11 games, Kyra Lewis, you know, he started this year in the funk. Um, Didi Lozada, now you're really wondering why he was honestly giving a contract, even though he hasn't taken the court. But we saw enough last year and then with the summer league. He didn't look like a guy that would be able to step in and contribute. So, yeah, that's where I want to see the Pelicans um, make some moves before the trade deadline. They've got to build just a better basketball team. Because we know two things. One, that they, they you've got to expect Zion's going to be back at some point playing right. games for the Pelicans. And number two, the whole thing is about winning. Everybody wants to start seeing this team win, including that locker room. Brandon Ingram, Valanchunas, Graham, Willie Green, the coaching staff. They feel like the talent is there, and we've seen it in some games. So you ne- now need to basically fill out that uh, roster a little bit better. And you can't keep going with these guys that need to be led by the hand or reprimanded because they're not doing some, some one of the most basic fundamental things and practices, you name it. No, I'm with you, David. I hope there's some changes and you're right. Don't go swing for the big dynamite hero type of trade, but I'll tell you what, if something that was to come along um, and I don't really have a great guy in my mind yet, whether it's, I don't know, I've gone back and forth in De'Aaron Fox, CJ McCollum, but if you feel like there's somebody that does become available and you can get them and that you think will fit with the guys that are on your roster, can help you now, with or without Zion, you make that move. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I would just say that, yeah, I'm not sure about De'Aaron Fox, too. I think people have put a lot of value in a guy who has numbers, but he feels like a good numbers, bad team guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have not seen him contribute enough to winning. And I think the Kings are a very good example if you're the Pelicans, a team that stockpiled a whole bunch of young players and has no idea what to do with all of them. And to me, when we've talked about the teams that are successful, and I continue to reiterate this, you decide what your core is and everybody else is movable. You keep moving those bench parts and those supporting roles. You keep moving those guys till you find the right guys to fill out that roster. Those are short-term guys on the bench. You don't invest in long-term things on that bench. You do the short-term as you know, you, you invest in long-term for your core pieces, your Giannis, your Chris Middleton. And I keep using the Bucks as the example because that's they are the best pressure example. But even the Suns are a good example of that. They figured out it's Booker, it's um Bridges, and it's Aiden. And even in with Aiden, they're still iffy on his money, but I think he's proving his value mm-hmm. to them. But what did they do around the edges? They went and got veterans. Chris Paul, who is that move that you're talking about? When you know for certain you can get a guy who will get you to the next level, then you swing for that fits. But the rest of those guys that they went and got are role players. The veterans that they went and got are role players. The same with the Bucks. Their home run move was go for Drew Holiday. The rest of the guys that they got are consistent NBA role players. Nobody thought Bobby Portis would be a, a big finals contributor when the Bucks picked him up, but he was arguably their third best player in the finals. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, it's just, you know, that's the thing I would like to see for the Pelicans is you don't have what they have to do next year. Like you said, whether if you're assuming that Zion will be ready for next season, you have to win 40 games. You have to. And to do the only way to do that is to raise the floor. And that's that's with this roster. You can't keep giving Willie Green these pieces that he's got to spend so much time on. At some point, he's got to focus just on that relationship between if if Zion is in, 
He's got to focus on that relationship between Zion and B.I. He's got to spend his time on making sure those two guys are seamless with each other and with Jonas. And then everybody else starts fiddling, fiddling in around that. Yeah, and I think we've got enough. We've seen enough glimpses as to why they should go that route. You know, I mentioned before that win against the Pistons, they had won their previous six games during this stretch where they've been playing much, much better, right around 500 ball. All six of those wins came against legitimate teams. They weren't cupcakes. They were teams that are expected to at least make the playing tournament. Last year, the Pelicans beat every single top team, one through 10, except for the uh, Brooklyn Nets. And I remember writing up a preview, and there was only one other team that could say they d- had done that. Um, and I can't remember now for the life of me which team that was. But the Pelicans, when things work out, when things click, they show you that they do have enough talent, right? It's just now, of course, getting it all out on the court, being able to get the most out of your guys in every night. And if you don't, you got to have then, of course, the pieces you can turn to, whether it's in case of an injury or, you know, somebody's having an off night. As you mentioned, I mean, I love that Phoenix Suns team going out and getting Jay Crowder, Frank Kaminsky. They filled in those holes campaign, uh, filling in those holes of those rookie guys that they wanted to build, you know, be a part of their core. They filled it in seamlessly. I mean, hat, hats off to uh, GM uh, Jones. Excellent. And I feel like that's where the Pelicans are, right? I mean, the, the Phoenix Suns last, what was it, two years ago, David, going in the bubble. Before those last few months of the season, I mean, they, they looked as mediocre as the Kings and as the Pelicans as any really towards the bottom of the Western Conference teams. Then, of course, they had that magnificent run in the bubble, showing you what they're, you know, they can potentially do. And I think that was a heck of a springboard. But I feel like we've seen many springboards by the Pelicans over these last two years is the point I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like you could probably maximize and it could be even better if you just had the roster fitting and think about this if you had that better fitting roster right not where you're trying to constantly and it seems like eternally develop these young guys maybe Kyle Lowry would have said yes or maybe some bet would have said yes this past summer because the Falcons won a few more games right last year so I don't want to hear this about tanking right tanking is for a team that's got no future and nothing that you can put you know faith into that this is a guy that can lead us somewhere Pelicans have some of those guys plus they got good some supporting players they just don't have Mm -hmm. nearly enough of them and, and let's let's take Memphis for another example. You know, people said, well, what do you expect when you lose your best player? What's going to happen? Well, Memphis has lost John Moran. And they go on a winning streak. They won five in a row, wire to wire. That's incredible. And, and they blew people out, too. They got the biggest win in the NBA history <laughs> a couple of nights ago. Yeah, it was OKC okay Thunder, but hey. <laughs> yeah, but still, you know what I'm saying? The Pelicans lost to local Oklahoma City. Yep. You know, Oklahoma City's beat the Lakers two out of three times. So mm-hmm. let's, let's, you know, it's still the NBA here. And they did that without not just John Moran, but they were missing other players that night. Yeah, the Grizzlies just came off a huge win against the Lakers. You know, that five-win streak got interrupted by a loss to Dallas, but they bounced about right back and beat L.A. by around what? It was double digits is all yeah. I remember. And so, right, it's all without John Morant. And why are they doing that? Because it's role players. Dylan Brooks, role player, right? We saw this. This And and, and I want to have this discussion with you, too, because we do this with centers every year. Remember, first year, Derek Favors comes in, and everybody's like, Derek Favors, he's no good. But his numbers said that he was really good. Last year, Steven Adams. We talked about Steven Adams at the beginning of the year. We said, Steven is the most intelligent basketball IQ guy on this roster right now. We love Steven Adams. Everybody said, remember on the television broadcast, AD and and Joel, everybody told you how much you're going to love Steven Adams. We did love Steven Adams. 
until then they said he wasn't a fit and they move him on. Well, he's doing his job in Memphis. Bring Jonas in, same thing. I love Jonas. Jonas is playing well. It's not been that guy's problem. You know what I mean? It's not been the center position's problem. And I think we've done mm-hmm. that as Pelic- with the Pelicans too, is try to find reasons why this team loses and we're finding fault in the wrong people. Because the same Stephen Adams that you said didn't fit here goes to Memphis and he bullied Anthony Davis for, for 20 plus minutes the other night. Yes, yeah, so Memphis- Jackson and everybody else, I think. <laughs> yeah. So again, a guy like Jaron Jackson, who is the other developmental guy that they, they're relying on, to go with John Morant has been an inconsistent guy at times mm-hmm. has been a guy who's not lived up to the billing at times has been injured, been injured. and all of those things. But what has Memphis done? They said, we're continuing to build around those two guys. They committed to Ja and to triple J, but the rest of that group are guys that they can count on tough, hard nosed veteran type players. Cause now Dylan Brooks is in year five. You know, these are guys who have figured out their roles. They under, slow-mo, you know, we talk about um, mm-hmm. Anders, Kyle Anderson. Again, a guy who's not super at anything, but he's not going to mess it up for you. He's not going to take things off the table. And that's what I think – that's all you want out of the New Orleans Pelicans because, like you said, they it's never been a question of the top-end talent. They have plenty exactly. of top-end talent, but it's no excuse for a team with this much talent to lose the way that they do. Yeah, and those first 13 games, they were getting zero from the bench. They had the worst bench in the league by a lot of statistical markers. As for a team like Memphis, now nah, you brought in a guy like Desmond Bain. You got Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, um, Tyus Jones. Guess what? These guys gave you something. I don't care what year they were in. They gave you legitimate positive production. Now think back to the Pelicans, guys, for those of you listening. What did you see in those first 13 games? Jackson Hayes gave you nothing. Kyra struggled. Nikhil, I mean, yeah, he had a couple of good shooting performances, but more times than not, he was a negative on the court. And you just go up and down the roster. That's the differences in wins and losses, guys, in the NBA. That's why the Memphis Grizzlies have won six or seven without John Moran. That's where the Pelicans, yeah, they, they're playing better. And they've got good talent. David and I are not at all belittling that fact. But it's an incomplete roster overall. It's incomplete from the standpoint of who you've added in the drafts since you got here. And I'm talking about, of course, David Griffin and his new uh, front office, this new era. It's just not, you know, it, it, they could, things can be better. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, things, I mean, things need to be better. Another example, the Washington Wizards. Bradley Beal's scoring is off tremendously from last year, right? But he's not going to lead the league at scoring. There's not a chance of that this season. But what did they put around Bradley Beal? All the players they've drafted from Rui Hachimura to um, Daniel Gafford, all these guys they've gotten, these young players, they have a specific understanding of what they're doing. A Thomas Bryant, not a guy who's who's ever going to be a star, but knows his role. They went out and got role players, even Kyle Kuzma. That's what I was going to say. Talk about the Westbrook deal. I mean, that's been the home run. Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, and I forget who else they got all three guys you can rely on night in night out right? West on Sale Jr. you can rely on these guys yeah so you're t- you're not going to tell me then that of course Sale- yeah you- i mean you're not going to tell yeah, me so i was Sale just going to mention then you look better. at the rest of their guys danny abdia's giving you stuff daniel gafford who you picked up off the scrap heap right aaron holiday and, and you still got bertans you got kispert who you're developing i mean yeah, that, that's how you do it. That's how you've got to hit on more picks than you whiff on. And unfortunately, the Pelicans have whiffed on more of their roster spots than they've hit on so far. And that explains to me why they've been 
perennially under 500 since, like I said, for a long time, but especially now when it matters during the David Griffin era. And, and I think absolutely the biggest problem that Griff has had as, a, as somebody who's drafting is he's drafting for potential and not for production. And, the, and when you are in the quote unquote small market or in any NBA market, quite frankly, you have to be able to, it's rare the team that can afford to wait for guys to figure it out. It is a very rare thing. You can wait for, like, again, you can wait for one, maybe two, but you can't wait for five. You can't wait. And they did that, though, right? David, Mm -hmm. they did that. First year, they drafted Jackson Hayes, a guy that had incredible ceiling but an incredibly low floor. Nikhil, that was kind of a safer pick, right? He didn't have the highest ceiling. Nobody thought he'd ever turn in an all-star someday, but he had a pretty low floor, too. Same thing with Kyra Lewis last year, I felt like. But I want to say they did change gears. you got to think, look, Trey Murphy, right? Played mm-hmm. all those years in college. Herb Jones, another guy, played his full allotment in college. So I feel like they have changed gears, but they still, what is it? When you look at this roster, what do you see? You still see kind of those mistakes from those first two drafts, and they haven't developed. So I guess what you and I are getting at is if you want this roster to start winning more games and you want them to specifically be a lot better once everybody's healthy, right? Mr. Big Man mm-hmm. Zion. It starts now. You've got to build just a more complete roster. And honestly, that starts now because the winning now matters, right? I don't care if they make the playing tournament. I know you and I have never talked about that. And I think this is especially true now looking at Zion's, you know, the news we, we got today. But that does not uh, stop the fact that this team has enough to win now. And you've got to build from this level. You can't, you don't take it two steps back by trading away Josh Hart or Valanciunas. And then hoping and then start, you know, looking at draft picks. Oh, look, more draft picks. Oh, which prospects can we draft, basically? No, that is not the route I hope anybody wants to see the, this Pelicans take. No, you can't do another rebuild. Um, but the questions are about when you get we've gotten a number of questions from people who ask about do you support David Griffin or do is Griffin being fired a possibility? Ali, my thought is. I don't think Griffin gets fired much for the reason that you didn't see uh, Dell get fired when all these injuries were beset. There is some part of the Pelicans, whether it's Gale or whomever, that doesn't want to run this off quickly. So I think the Zion injury has actually guaranteed that Griff will be around for next year. Yeah, and I think that's the right decision. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that right now, but regardless of how he handles stuff in the PR department, and through that lens, I think that he's got to be allowed to have a chance to play out this vision because I think we've gotten enough glimpses to where I think it could work. And then when you go off the fact that he made some very intelligent, let's face it, a lot of smart moves this past summer and bringing Jonas Valanciunas, getting rid of Bledsoe and Steven Adams, who was never going to fit along Zion Williamson. And of course, adding Devontae Graham, um, drafting Herb Jones. And I think Trey Murphy in time will prove that as well that there was a lot of positives to take from this summer. So, no, I, I think it's – I know you're upset. We were all <laughs> upset. We've all been there throwing, you know, one time or another, especially during that first 13 games, and then not having any kind of clear, concise timetable regarding Zion. It honestly looked hopeless, right? But now that I, I feel like we've gotten enough into the season, and now we kind of see a lot of these parts of this roster working – and then, like I said, you combine with the fact that this whole season was about Zion being that centerpiece and bringing in better fits. Well, we haven't seen it, and we may not get to see it. So, yeah, David Griffin, guys, for those that don't like him or want him gone, 
I'm sorry to say, I think he's definitely going to be back for at least another year. Yeah, I think what the edict will be then is this offseason is about determining whether or not Zion is staying or not. You know, th- whenever he returns, whether it's during the season or in the yeah, offseason. it's going to be the extension, right, David? Yeah. He, when he gets offered that extension, will he sign it? So if he doesn't you've accept, you got to expect. It, by the way, the Pelicans offer it. I know some people are saying, "Well, do you offer it?" Because of, you have you know, to. He's he's missed more games. Than he's going to play in. It looks like no, but yeah, you don't give you. up the asset. <laughs> you don't get up. Give up the asset. You know what I mean? Like no matter what, you don't you give up to. the best player in any probably any trade deal, right? A lot of people right. call him for Zion to be moved because he doesn't take his conditioning seriously or he can't get on the court. He's not reliable. I'm sorry. Nope. Who are you going to get that can fill Zion's shoes? You're look, not. You're going to have to get lucky somehow again, and you don't certainly want to wait for that to happen. Look, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, and a lot of people have used the Zion and Joel Embiid comparison, and I've used it too. And what I'll say is, look, we're still talking about Joel Embiid's con- in conditioning in year five officially of his career, but the seventh year he's been in the NBA. We're still talking about his conditioning. We're still talking about his availability. He's only averaged mm-hmm. 50 games per season since he's be, since he's actually started playing in the NBA. I think that's no matter what going forward, part of what you have to assume is that Zion will never play an 82-game season. He will never play a 72-game season. You have to count on Zion from 60, maybe from 50 to 60 games every year. So once you get that understood, if that's what you're operating for, you get more than that bonus. But what yeah, you're David, I'll say, from- I'm not going to write that off because here's a great example. Zydrunas Elgowskis missed his entire first year. Yeah. Yeah, he played 82 games the next year, but then the following year, his third year, played five. Fourth year, right. zero. Fifth year, 24. In his first five seasons, he had six surgeries. People thought his NBA career was done. Guess what? After that, he played, I remember, I want to say it was like 80 games, 80 games, 78, 78, 78, because I recently looked at his basketball reference page. So – I'm not going to rule out Zion potentially finally overcoming his injury nexus. It could happen, right? Maybe the doctors yeah. finally figure it out. And, and I'm not ruling it out. Underweight, right? But right. yeah, right now, you're right. The realistic approach is you're, you're taking the correct approach. You shouldn't count on Zion playing 80 games. No, you just you just stop it. It's it's It would be the same as like if I'm, if, when I, if I'm running the Saints, I'm assuming that, I, you know, like as Sean Payton has always said about Alvin Kamara, I got to manage his workload. If I want him to be around for a long time, I can't have Alvin Kamara running the ball 30 times a game. Well, with Zion, it's always going to be about managing his workload. Not necessarily his minutes on a night-to-night basis, but he's going to be a guy who's getting strategic rest for the rest of, you know, for the foreseeable future. Let's just say that. For the next three to four years, you're going to be doing things strategically to make sure that he's on the floor. If it's more games than that, if he gets healthy, fantastic. But again, operate from the place that if he is not here, are we prepared? And then from there, okay, now I can determine specifically what I want out of Brandon Ingram. I can determine specifically what I need out of Devontae Graham. I can determine specifically what I need out of Jonas Valanciunas because we're not operating under the the supposition that Zion will be here when he isn't. And I think that's part of what clouded the start of this season too, is that these guys were still under the impression too. I think mentally, Zion's going to be back. Zion's going to be back. Zion's going to be back. And that was, wasn't going to happen. And I think there's a bit of, for, for Willie, you, you prepared for Zion too. All this stuff was prepared in, a, in, in that way. Yeah, absolutely. They probably thought, okay, well, he'll miss what? Realistically, the first 20 games or so. I think everybody had that pretty much thought in their head on, on media day even. Worst case scenario, he misses up to what? Thanksgiving. Okay, maybe creeps into December. Yeah. So 
there's the rest of the season, which is the vast majority. And of course, he's your key centerpiece. So undoubtedly, you have to prepare with that frame of mind. But in the meantime, you go with like plan B or C. And unfortunately, it looks like plan B or C is going to become plan A. Yep. Um, I do want to make sure that we focus on two players in particular, three. We're going to focus on three players in particular, because I don't want people to think that we're just sitting here and we're trying to be doom and gloom. Because that's not the case. I don't think we're, um, even, we're being doom and gloom, to be honest no, with you. No, <laughs> but I, I just think people misinterpret things as we're trying to be honest here and be as factual as we can and be as, uh, as straightforward as we can. But I, I, I'll be honest, David, after the first 13 games, I, I never thought I could be this hopeful hearing today's Zion news, not, not just about this regular season or the wins and losses, but about this roster, right? And I know that's what you're getting to. We're going to start talking about some mm-hmm. of these players, but – We've seen enough that you guys should be a lot more excited than in years past. Yes, there are absolute reasons for excitement. You know, since the summer league, you and I have been about Herb Jones. We Before the season started, as soon as we knew Zion wasn't available. Yeah, Trey Murphy and Herb Jones, both of them for me. Yeah, and we said, but we said going into the season, start Herb. That was, we were on that train before anybody else, as far as I know. I don't remember other people talking about start Herb. We were on that, start Herb. And we've seen yeah, because we knew what defense, right, was the worst yep. thing when it came to the forwards, big wings, because Zion and B.I. were honestly really bad at it last year. So you needed somebody you could trust out there. And let's face it, if it wasn't going to be Najee Marshall, who honestly fell off a cliff, Herb Jones was the next, honestly, easy um, next man up for us. And we've seen out of Herb the things that exactly what we've talked about is that his floor on a nightly basis. When I look at Herb, I I continue to see Draymond Green, but a more athletic version of that because Herb's stat lines consistently look like his. He's in that 8 to 15-point range. He's giving you 5 to 7 boards. He's giving you a block here and there. He's giving you a couple steals. He can pass. He moves without the basketball. The biggest part is he's more athletic, and he's working on that outside jump shot, which seems to be coming together. I'm not saying Herb ends up as a Hall of Famer. I don't know. It's too early to tell. But when you have someone who is, and I, I think it's demeaning just to call him, you know, I think most people take it just like game manager. You say glue guy is a demeaning thing. No, you absolutely need guys who hold it together. And Herb is one of those guys. You see the rest of the team is already looking to him. That is a special quality. And there are special things about Herb that, that just jump off of, off of the screen even if they're not in the stat sheet. Whether the Pelicans got lucky or not, you have got to give them all the accolades in the world for getting that draft pick right. For all the ones they've missed, and Lord knows we've torn them apart for that the picks after Zion, right? And Jackson, mm-hmm. Nikhil, and then last year, Kyra. And then all the draft picks that they for, for, forgot or, yeah, for, forgone in either trades or just selling them when they had – potential to draft you know maybe a Desmond Bain or Sadiq Bay or whoever Herb Jones well that one they got right and they hit a home run with that and you're right there's nothing wrong with saying glue guy because guess what I I read uh, I think it's Seth Davis writes for the athletic um, well-known commentator regarding college basketball he's always putting lists of glue guys and I look through his lists and I think he's been doing for close to 20 years there's been some good names on there but the one that's Stands out for everybody um, is Draymond Green. And Herb Jones last year was his top guy, glue guy. So that's a good starting point for a team that needed somebody like that, right? We always talked about that. Yeah, the Pelicans had those stars last year, but who was going to do all that dirty work? Herb Jones does that and then some 
but we see a ceiling that is so salivating. While you say yes. Draymond Green, uh, David, I, I, I'm telling you, I have fallen in love with these comparisons, Andre Iguodala. And these aren't ones that were just started by Willie Green. I started doing some research into that because I want to write on it. But Avery Johnson, I think, was the first one to start referring to him as a kind of a clone of Iguodala, his potential at least, way back in, I think, 2018 or something like that. And I think that's an app um, description because when Iggy came in the league, he wasn't what we saw now, but he he was this this bundle of energy that could do so many different things, guard mm-hmm. so many different positions. And I see the exact same thing out of Herb. Probably a little bit longer, probably not the same ball handling skills, but boy. And Andre was a little bit more of a, a was considered a, was thought to be a primary score when he first came in the league. Remember, yeah. he was supposed to, he was, I think he was averaging somewhere around 18 a game, but yeah, he, I, I think, I think you're right. I think that that is a very apt comparison. I think both of those players, because Herb is also a front court player, can play in the post and defend the post. There's, it's almost a hybrid um, of those two, but not, yeah, not the, uh, not maybe the necessarily the same, like you said, height and length that, uh, that Iguodala has. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you need. Like I said, in between a Zion and a Brandon Ingram, uh, it's going to allow for you to play death lineups. Hopefully we get to see it someday where, you know, if, if you want to go small, play fast, you can have her play the five or you can have him. We've seen him play the one, right? It doesn't matter. Whoever you put him on, you know, he's going to do a good job. He's going to have an understanding of what his role and all of his teammates is. And then offensively, that's been the biggest surprise even to me. When I watched some video of him when uh, the Pelicans announced they drafted him, I sure I saw he could make some passes, but I didn't see a guy that could score and have the mentality to want to score, and he definitely couldn't shoot. I know he shot a decent percentage his senior year, but he only shot it, what, 30, 40 times. That doesn't count in my book. What yeah. we're seeing now is a guy that's kind of unlocking, but it's not a comparison, but I want to say it feels like what the Spurs did with Kawhi Leonard, right? They drafted a guy that they felt solely on potential, what maybe he could be, even though he didn't show certain skills, right? And, and for me, I'm referring to Kawhi and his ability to score and especially shoot, right? Where he handles the ball, shoots the ball. Well, Herb Jones is now honestly showing so much better form and, and from the free throw line, from the three-point line, you name it. It gives you hope that he's going to be so much more than just, say, a Matisse Thibel, who remember last few years we wanted Matisse to put next to behinds on. Well, now Pelicans have a guy who's going to be so much more and more important than a guy like that's just a defender, maybe a three and D guy. Herb's bringing you so much more to this game. And, and it's, it's like I said, it's a home run pick. It's something yeah. that David Griffin definitely needs to put a feather in his cap on. Oh, he's a diamond. And, and to me, for anybody, like the thing with Herb to me is like, yeah, to make it, to think that you're going to limit him as a three and D. No, he's too smart. He's too smart. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's where those Iguodala and Draymond things come into play yes. because you can, Herb can not necessarily be the guy who runs your offense yet. I think he could learn some of those things. He played point guard. He was asked yeah. to do it in college. Yeah. So exactly. I, I think he can absolutely learn more of that, but you're already seeing that he recognizes things before they happen on the offensive mm-hmm. end. He is willing to move without the basketball, which is what the Pelicans have struggled with so much that's Mm -hmm. one thing that we've always said is that nobody when the ball is in one person's hand everybody else is standing herb doesn't stand he moves he goes to where the empty spots are and he creates opportunities for other people whether it's the hockey assist or the direct assist we've seen that on the defensive end 
not only is it, I thought it was a tremendous thing. We talked about the charge because it's a mental thing. He said, the charge is I beat you. It's because the charge is two things. I love that answer today, David. I didn't expect it. I'll be honest. Man, he blew me away. But it's two things. The reason the charge is better than a block or a steal is because not only is it a turnover, but it's a foul. And that is, that's a player thinking about the bigger strategy of the game. And to me, you know, the part about Draymond again for me is Draymond was a guy, Big Ten player of the year, had been to Final Fours, was a senior, had all the all the honors, and ended up as a second-round guy, right? Yeah. The same thing we're talking about, Herb was SEC player of the year, SEC defensive player of the year. You figured that should earn me a fir- the SEC. I'm a power five guy. I should be in the, in the first round. I think there's a chip on Herb's shoulder too about, and not in a negative way, an absolutely positive way. I've got something to prove every night, and he plays that way. He does, and he practices that way. He lives and breathes it. From everybody I talked to, it's incredible. But but he, here's another point I also uh, want to make regarding uh, Herb, and it's the fact that David, what have we always screamed for? Going back as far as you want, screeners. It's the amount of low IQ players <laughs> yes. that have inhabited these rosters in New Orleans. You just wanted one guy that could be such a game changer in that department because of what he brings and what he's able to do for everybody else. Herb's that guy. He's flat out that guy. And when he answered today about why he wanted, why he chose charges over blocks and steals as being his favorite, and he talked about because I'm beating you to the spot, because I'm outsmarting you. He is so thinking the game because not only is he competitive, but he's using his intelligence, his IQ to beat you. And that, like I said, has been that's so rare for anybody that's watching new basketball for, you know, for seemingly ever. And I want to give, I mean, not since Chris Paul, we'll say that since Chris Paul, right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There, or other, I mean, as among young players, I mean, Rondo had an incredible mind, obviously. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, But yeah, among players that, that have been young and brought into this organization, there's not one that's been smarter in my, in my view in watching them than, than, than Herb Jones. And I will say this, as we move to Brandon Ingram, that is starting to kick in for him. I think Brandon Ingram has gotten past the point of relying on his natural skill. And this season, what we've seen, particularly over these last 15 games, is a Brandon Ingram that is, as he said, I know where my spots are. I'm confident in what I can do when I get to them. And you're also seeing his patience improve. The, the assist numbers are not gaudy. He had the one game with the 12 assists, but they don't need to be. And that's something that we've all to always talked about. It's not about the assist for BI. It's being aggressive and allowing, you know, a trying to score and allowing the passes to come from that aggressiveness. And I think that's what we're seeing more out of him over these last 15 games than we had seen even in the previous two years. Brandon Ingram is learning how to be the focal point of an offense without needing to have the ball in his hands. That That is the best outcome that anybody should hope for. And we're beginning to see it, I think. And you're right. So don't lo- go looking at his assist numbers. So that means he's going to have to have the ball in his hands and making very determinative uh, plays, uh, a, a, a numerous amount of those. And that's not what you want. That's not where B.I.'s at his best. No, he's his best at, as almost – I'm trying to think of a good comparison, David, but some of the best scorers in the league who honestly operated best off the ball. And I'm not talking about guys like that, a Ray you know, Allen catch your balls off the screens. Yeah, I was going to say Ray Allen, Richard Hamilton, um, guys who Reggie mean. Miller, Brad, Bradley Beal before he started handling the ball more. I mean, there's a lot of guys, but that's where B.I. is at his best. We've all known it. 
And but we're finally beginning to see it because I think it's twofold. Number one, the coaching staff. They've gotten through to him that that's who he is and, and that's who he should be on every night. Last year, Stan did such a disservice by saying, here's the ball. You're a star. Zion, yeah, he gets the ball too. You guys are stars. Go make plays. That that hurt. And so we saw what we saw, right? Some of those games, some of those lowlights. Why can't they carry an offense? Uh, there was those bad stretches. Yeah, this year, we, we, we had a few of those games, especially early. But boy, lately, B.I. is seriously, now he's his awareness um, and reading, right, Vince is giving him. I know he struggled against in, in that Denver game. But outside of that, boy, he, he's really shown a tremendous amount of learning to me. And like I said, it's now beginning to show, um, to me, honestly, in his impact. It's not in the wins and losses. It's not in his stat line because the stat line looks awfully similar the last two seasons. But if you look underneath the hood, I'm seeing a guy who's making a much bigger impact. And David, we've only talked about his offense. Let's talk about how now the efforts translating defensively on the glass and other parts. Yeah, I think he's been a more aggressive defender this year. We've seen him trail plays harder and stronger in transition. Yes. Where there are times last he's year when he would stop. Court line. Yeah, he'd stop. <laughs> and so now I think we're seeing him clean up plays. We're at least seeing him. The biggest part was getting him in the screen, and now we're seeing him in the screen in transition. And defensively, he's not a great individual defender yet, but we're seeing more effort. And that's step one. And that's what we asked for this offseason was at least Brandon had to start showing that he tried. And I think part of that, and he said it too in his comments, was that when you see Herb out there doing that, Brandon has put that on and said, this is, it's inspired me too. He didn't say Mm -hmm. exactly that, but that was the context of his comments that Herb has put that on all these guys, that energy, but you give Brandon the credit for stepping up and accepting that challenge. I give him that credit. He still has a ways to go to be a legitimate one-on-one defender, but he is putting in the effort and he's becoming a better team defender. He's taken a huge step for me in becoming the two-way player that he needs to be right to maximize the use of his talents and be the most effective player for any team he's on. Uh, but especially this Pelicans team. When you see the Boston Celtics, how they've just ridden, you know, the, the coattails of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you've always thought that, man, why why can't Zion and B.I. kind of start showing, you know, semblance of replicating that here in New Orleans in their first two seasons? Well, I think we're now seeing it out of B.I. And, and that, that that's what you need. You need a guy that's, okay, so he's not going to be one of the best scorers of all time. But yet you've got to be able to give effort because there's battles all over that court. It just doesn't come when the ball's in your hands on offense. And I think that's been the biggest, most inspiring thing. And here's something else I think people probably know that close to ball team. B.I. has said often in the past, and I'm talking about the last two years, of being like a killer, of of wanting to do, and he's going to do what Mm -hmm. it takes to win. He, He really didn't, you know, put his best foot forward on that. We'll just leave it at that. But I feel like this summer we start hearing the same stories again, right, David? He invited the team out. Uh, it was around the time of the summer league. The guys that were on team, I know that Bledsoe was there, but there was a lot of guys there, and he voluntarily held, like, uh, practices, right? Let's let's just get better. Let's work together. And since that time, I've heard he's really asserted his leadership. You know, in media day um, and then during training camp, he always talked about how he wants to set an example on both sides of the court. So I know that you're right. Herb Jones is providing a lot of inspiration but B.I. is holding true to form on the things that he mm-hmm. said, right, in training camp. Yep. So 
I give him all the credit in the world. He's really turning the page. Like I said, even though the numbers aren't showing it, the Pelicans aren't winning. So he's not getting talked about, especially not on a national level, but we're seeing it. And I think that bodes really well for New Orleans' future. B.I. needed to become that two-way player to prove that he can, you know, at least be a Robin to Zion. I think we're beginning to see signs of it this year. Yeah, uh, and, you know, the one thing that, that still is not there for B.I., and that's and I think that's again goes back to roster makeup is that this year his his is still his buckets around the rim his percentage of shots around the rim has decreased every year he's been in New Orleans and that is a function of not having I think Zion on the floor because you don't have somebody who and not having effective screeners too you know and, and that has limited his ability to both play in that mid mid post and create easy opportunities for himself there and he doesn't get a lot of those. Uh, opportunities for himself to come off of a double with somebody else has been doubled Zion or, and he can cut and get an easy dunk or something like that. Those lanes have not been there for him because the guards have not been able to produce on a nightly basis. We've seen this wild, these wild swings from Devante Graham in his shooting at times. Mm -hmm. We've seen the wild swings with Nikhil in the starting lineup. And that's why Brandon is getting these double and triple teams, which keep him out of the paint. But otherwise his shooting in, in the mid range, that percentage has gone up every year. His mid-range field goal percentage, 10 to 16 feet, 42% his first year, 48% this year. So that tells you he's choosing that spot. He knows his spot, and it's continuing to knock that shot down. Yeah, and when you say that, I think back to all the telecasts I watch at home and Antonio Daniels talking about B.I. needing to get to his spots to get his shots. And we didn't see it at all last year. But this year we're seeing it. And so, yeah, this the B.I. is unlocking. He's, he's kind of ascending into kind of like the way Chris Middleton, I feel like, started to take that next step in his career in Milwaukee. I think we're seeing it right now. And then we'll be talking about next year what a great, you know, turnaround has been in B.I.'s career. But the fact of the matter is I think it's starting now. Just yep. nobody's really noticed yet. No. Uh, and it's going to take more time. It's going to take more consistency. And it's going to take some of the wins to come for our people yeah. to start appreciating yeah. those things. Falcons well. got to start winning. He's got to be instrumental, you know, down the down the stretch, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And last, I, th- I just think we just have to continue to give credit to Josh Hart because his value. I was wondering um, about going to say Valanciunas or Hart, but yeah, good choice. Yeah, because uh, like I said, Valanciunas as of late still playing very well. Um, but I think Jonas impact- is so incredible, David. You won't believe what a great teammate. All- oh, I love Jonas. I got you a quick story since we're not okay, going to talk yeah, about yeah. Jonas. Let me, yeah, let me just say this about Jonas. So we came in a practice. Um, I can't remember if it was the start of last week or, or it was in the last couple of weeks. And there's only one guy still working on the court, and that's Jonas. And he's physically going at it. He's pounding with the uh, Pelicans assistant coaches and guys like that on getting a really hard workout. But it's a physical one. And I've never seen anybody do that before. Not AD, not Boogie, not any center, backup center, you name it. And he went through the ringer. And then he was talking some trash. He was shooting all the shots. He was simulating a lot of game action. And for a guy that's, you know, a legitimate bet, he doesn't need to be doing it. To see him doing that um, was so impressive to me. So I just want to say that, boy, I love the guy. And I'm sure we'll talk about him in future pods. Oh, yeah. But I just needed to throw that story out while it's still kind of fresh in my mind. Yeah, the three things that impressed me most about Jonas is a his 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 willingness to be physical every night. Um, I also appreciate the fact that he he's a constant communicator on both ends of the floor. And then I think that his 
professionalism carries over on the court every night. This is a dude, mm-hmm. prof- and, and that doesn't mean passivity. There's a level of aggression and intimidation that he brings, uh, but also the level of skill that makes it more than just a blunt instrument. He is He's a scalpel when he needs to be, and he is a rock when he needs to be. Yeah, teammates love him because, you know, he's always um, it's, it's kind of inspiring them on the court, right? When the Pelicans are kind of needing a, a hot stretch or they're about to start one, you see him oftentimes as being a very important part of it, whether he's scoring, making a pass or not. You know, I, I remember yesterday, early in the third quarter, the Pelicans went on that run against the Pistons and blew that game wide open. You know, on half of those three-pointers, and I remember one specifically on Devontae Graham, he's already got his arms up. He's, he's about to cross half-court line. And there's other times I see him smacking Josh Hart on the ass. He, you know, he and Josh Hart have brought something for the rest of this team that's invaluable. It's something that Brandon Ingram can't give him. So I'm glad we're going to get to Hart. But, yeah, Valanciunas, to me, has been just as important as almost anybody really on this roster up to this point. Yeah, he's he's been, if not – he's either the first or, or second most consistent player on the roster since the start of the season. Uh, he and he's he's no lower than that, um, but we do have to talk about Josh Hart to, to finish this up because, and it's not just because I'm in the apologetic mode. It's because, quite frankly, and I've said th- I said this on Twitter the other day. No player on this roster, not including Brandon Ingram, from last year to this year, has improved more and demonstrated their value more than Josh Hart. Yeah, you're not wrong. He has surprised, honestly, I think everybody. I don't think even his biggest, staunchest supporters, who used to be, I remember, Fish and maybe a few others. But, yeah, they were always like, nah, you can't ever trade Josh. No, you'll pay him whatever it takes to bring him back. Mid-level or more, fine. But then a lot of people, like I said, jumped off that ship. Last year kind of was a a quiet year. But more importantly, he seems so replaceable, right? We always, David, I remember you and I talking about where are the improvements in his game? You know, he was in his fourth year last year. He has not become a better three-point shooter. He's always been a strong bounder. He's always been able to defend certain positions, right? But but he was always that same guy that he was almost in his rookie year with L.A. But this year, I'm seeing a different guy. And, and let's face it, I'm going to start with, you know, what he brings on offense. He has become a legitimate playmaker, right? If you just look at the numbers, he he's doubled his assist percentage from last year. But more important for me, it, it's the confidence that he has. Now, he claims when we asked him about this earlier in the year that a lot of it stems from the coaching staff. Then in the past, he was basically pigeonholed because of who he had been to just go ahead and stand in the corner and keep being that guy. Well, he said that, you know, this coaching staff has given him wings to be able to fly high. And like I said, yeah, it's come with some bad turnover games. You know, yesterday he went perfect from the field, perfect from the free throw line. I asked him about it. And he pointed, first thing he pointed out to me, yeah, but I had like, what, four or five turnovers. Mm-hmm. So God bless his heart. But he, David, you know, he's still giving you that tough defense. He's still giving you that rebounding. But I'm loving the playmaking ability. He's now become smarter offensively on where to find shots. He's never been a good three-point shooter. So I ne- it never sat right with me. Unless you're wide open, don't settle for the threes, Josh. And he's not doing that this year, right? Mm-hmm. He is now taking significantly less threes per game. Most of his shots now come inside the three-point arc, a vast majority of them. That wasn't the case last year. And he's become one, probably the most effective driver, wouldn't you say? I mean, yes. Who, who else? Yeah. Who else can you trust to go down the lane and somehow weave their way through the defense? And it doesn't have to be on a fast break and get to the rim or the free throw line. And lastly, I got to talk about his leadership. He, he is 
if if you if we're gonna give Valentunas for always being there for the guys, Josh Hart's the guy that's yelling, right? He he yes. voice as to where Herb Jones is that quiet guy, kind of you know he he'll get raise his voice to put you in the right position defensively. Josh Hart's motor is always lit. He's always at one hundred and ten percent, and you see it on every play when it's required. It requires a diving for the loose ball. You better believe Josh Hart's doing it. You know, it's stuff like that. So, yeah, he's proven invaluable to me. And that's the main reason why I don't want to see him traded. You know, a lot of people look at his stat line and think, well, he's making $13 million. You got to use his salary to bring in somebody else. I think what Josh Hart has given this team is something that they need along with Herb Jones, something they haven't had in a while. You need the guys like that, guys that want to win, know how to win alongside stars. So, yeah, Josh Hart. I've always kind of been a fan. I remember even you and I arguing because I was standing up for him last year. But, yeah, you now see what is obvious, right? This guy, he's taken that next step easily. Yeah, like you look at his numbers now, and this year everything is is either a career high or second best number of his career other than the three-point percentage. But his three-point attempts have decreased so much, but his field goal percentage is up over 50%. And mm-hmm. I think that, that that huge part of that, one of the things we had a problem with Josh in the past for was not being able to finish, that he missed a lot of shots around the rim because either he was going too fast or he was misjudging the distance or the shot. It's clear he's worked on his shot making in the offseason because we've seen some layup finishes from Josh that we had never seen before. Some high archers. Yeah, David, it's that consistency, right? Yeah. yeah, because there'd be certain games. You're right. He, he he looked honestly like he didn't even have the confidence. But this year, I don't see that at all. So you're absolutely right. Good observation. So it's it's just that's the thing, and like you said, that him going downhill, understanding his skill set, and he was the one. And I think that when they were mired in that losing, and he came out more than once after games and said, "This is not acceptable." Mm-hmm. We have no excuse, not youth, not this, not that. We're supposed to be winning these games. We had not heard that. Exactly. You know, like, not since B.I. said his thing about I'm going to kill everybody and then didn't live up to that, which, again, is I'm not knocking. I'm just saying what happened. Josh came out and said, it. we have to be accountable. He went and told, like you said, he told the rookies. He told, I'm guaranteeing he got B.I., not in his face, in, in, in the t- but I'm guaranteeing he said, look, dude, this is us. We got to pull this, pull these guys out of this. You know, we're the vets. I guarantee that conversation was had, whether or not we heard it or not. I firmly believe he he, he had that ability. He's, he's taken that position because this is not the Josh Hart personnel. You know, he was kind of a joke in certain ways. Josh is the guy who doesn't get high fives. Josh is the guy who gets floor burns. <laughs> he was just seen as an effort guy. But now I look mm-hmm. at him and I see a basketball player in the complete he's a very good basketball player yeah and i wouldn't have said that a year ago i would have said he was an effort and hustle guy but now i'm looking at a he was a replaceable guy last year yeah yeah. i agree he's figured he's figured out who he is and like you said there is yeah and hats off to him like i said the coaching staff right david Mm -hmm. i give willie green so much credit people again people act like you know i'm negative or whatever I love what Willie Green and that staff have done. And I love the fact that they shout out the staff and they talk about what Teresa Weatherspoon is doing with scouting reports. And you have to give credit to Fred Vincent, who is advanced from just being a shot doctor to being the guy who coordinates this defense and sets it up. Mm-hmm. Because on the nights when they adhere to what he's talking about, we've seen it. They're playing league best defense when they win games. 
So I give credit to this coaching staff. They have come together under Willie Green and he's doing, and I'm, I give Willie credit for being an extremely honest coach. And you can see his passion and his desire to win every day without being demeaning. And I, that's not a shot at anybody else. But again, I think that's what this group needed. None of us have ever said anything negative about the Willie Green hire, but even despite this eight and 20 record, you can clearly see that what Willie's doing and his big goal, his overarching goal for this team is the right one. Yeah. Can't agree with you more, buddy. So do we want to end here? Is there any more questions? What do you think? No, I think we answered the questions because they were either about keeping Griff or making a move. And and we've talked about that. Um, But yeah, I think this is a good spot to end. You know, the Pelicans have two more games against losers coming up and, you know, losing teams before they go into another <laughs> difficult stretch. Yeah, that came out kind of funny against losers. <laughs> but they have – I think this was – this three-game stretch with Detroit um, on on Monday they have uh, – who am I forgetting? Because Oklahoma City's Wednesday, right? Yes, Spurs, Spurs. Spurs and then OKC. Tomorrow. So you have three – these Detroit, San Antonio, OKC are opportunities to grab three wins – if they can get a three-game winning streak, which is they have not done this year, I think that's a hurdle that they got to climb too. Get a legitimate winning streak going, and that starts changing things for you. And that's been one of our major criticisms over the last four years because they've never had a winning streak longer than four games. So they've got to build that at some point. And this is an opportunity to do that against these three teams and then head into that the game with Philly. Uh, no, Philly's uh, uh, the, the one after that. Who's before Philly? Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. Um, I'm trying to think. There's the Bucks. Bucks are coming up Bucks, on seventeen. Bucks and then Philly. Yeah. So yeah. you go into that Bucks game. If you go in that Bucks game on a three game roll, who knows what happens? Exactly. Who knows what happens? It's basketball and it's the NBA and things can happen. But you've got to build, and they've got to win at home, and they've got to beat bad teams. And that's where it's, that's been their problem for such a long time. It feels redundant to say, but that's that's what we're looking for this week. Get, give me three game. Give me a three game winning streak, and I'll be happy. Yeah, I want actually more because, like I said, we've seen enough on now to do it consistently. Because uh, we just bragged about three guys really opportunities in there. Mm-hmm. Boasted about this new coaching staff. There's so many things to be hopeful about. So I know that we began this podcast talking about Zion Williamson and how my goodness, the sky is falling again in New Orleans. I don't think you and I both don't feel like that, correct? Because I certainly don't. No, it, it, if the right, if if people understand it, it's it's about making calculated moves and not trying to go from zero to one hundred. Then I believe that there's a solid future ahead for this franchise. I believe that. Yes, you need Zion Williams to be healthy. As Williams said, to be healthy is part of that. Um, you're hoping for that. But even without that, if even without him, if you say he's gone for the rest of the season, you still should get to 30 wins if you play the type of basketball that this team is capable of playing and you make the right moves around the edges. Don't do a complete overhaul, but you make the right moves around the edges and get some veterans in here who you can trust. Then I think that this team can start to make a legit, even if they get back just to the same win total as last year. And are at thirty or thirty-one by the end of this season. And I don't care. I would be if if they play like they've played in these wins, and they're mm-hmm. more consistent. And they get to you know I I'll be I would be encouraged by that, and I'd be the first one standing up and saying I believe that they're on the right track. So if you're out there on social media, you're talking to me about 
bring it down because they lose whatever game they lose next. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to respond to you. I may even block you because this is far from it. This is just because they have a, such a mediocre record, worse than the Western Conference, right? 8-20 right now. This is they're not the talent is not indicative of their record or where this is this build is going. As you just mentioned, Zion's got to get back, but even then they've got to fill out the roster better. Can't be relying on youth that's just not coming through anymore or veterans that were brought in. You've got to move on from them. And honestly, the sooner the better with a few of them. Yep. Absolutely. If if you can move on from Sadoransky, Jackson Hayes, um, you can't trade Kyra right now, obviously, because he's hurt. Um, but and there I, are a couple of- was showing me something, David. I I I, I agree with you know, the sentiment, overall sentiments of him finding something. Right, starting to feeling like he belongs and playing to his strengths. You don't give up on on somebody like that on a rookie contract who's only twenty. Oh, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. You know. Yeah, yeah no, I know. Have- I'm just saying. Yeah, even yeah, I'm saying because you brought up the injury as being a factor in not trading him. And I'm saying injury or not, I wouldn't move him right now unless somebody, of course, gives you a lot for him. Right. It has to be the right deal, but certainly you're trying to Naji at this point, who is not giving you anything, you're not even using him then. And he's cheap. You can move him out of there or you can just outright release him and try to find a veteran. But you've also got to, you got to do something with Jackson. He's not, he's not a part of the future. Let's just be Jackson doesn't want to be in this situation anymore. That's clear. Yeah. The only thing that I gives me hope is there's enough people that still talk highly of him. And I see his interactions with his teammates. So it's not like he's, you know, the first guy to leave practice, the last no, guy to show up. Doesn't I'm talk just saying to people. He doesn't want to be in a situation where he's not playing. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, I, think- I don't think anybody would. My whole thing is, is he, is he going to start doing the things to make him a better basketball player? I don't Learning know. the game. I don't he know. Does it, and you don't have enough faith that he does. You have to move on from him. And right now, that's where the, the signs league. are pointing. The one day in the G League where your coach has to bench you twice for not running back, dude. I don't care about exactly. the 30 and 10. What they sent you down there for was to see what your work ethic was going to be like. They didn't just want to give you the minutes. They Not see it. See they it. want him to work on it. And that's right. he's starting at, the, it sounds like ground zero. So if you go down to there, the first thing you should be able to do, because those guys on that, on that Birmingham squadron team, they want what you got. Yep. So if you come down there and those guys are playing there, there for their lives, they're trying to play for their careers. And you come down there and you don't hustle. Come on, man. No, no, no. It can't be that. Yeah, so but, I hope, honestly, they send him down a few more times for uh, coming up because they'll have, I think, opportunities to do that the rest of this month. rest of the season. I mean, he needs Yeah, to, if, if it anything, takes that, you're right. If it takes it, I hope it doesn't. But, yeah, I guess. But he's not part of the rotation now. So what are you, what are you doing? What service are you doing to either the Pelicans by not playing him because you're not increasing his tra- trade value? And what value is Jackson getting out of it? So the best thing for everybody is to find a situation where he can play. And either that's in the G League, because it's clear they're not going to have enough practice time over the course of the season, you know, for him to develop in practice. And you're not going to give him minutes if you're trying to win games right now. So I think they should give us more time. But we talked long <laughs> enough. We could do this is this is the, why we do this alone sometimes, because we know we could go on so long. But I hope we've given you the listener something worth listening to i think that we've we've covered a lot of ground and ali i love when we have our one-on-one conversation yeah i think we hit another home run today man so pelicans back in action on monday right it's not it's tomorrow monday 
No, tomorrow, Sunday. They tomorrow. play the Spurs tomorrow. tomorrow. Then they're off for two then, days, play Oklahoma yeah. City on Wednesday. Right. They're back at home on Wednesday, right? Uh, no, no. Wednesday's in OKC. Then they come back Friday. Friday so against the Bucks. Yeah. I'm so off. Yeah, Friday's the home game. But um, it should be a good, an exciting week. It's an opportune week starting tomorrow. We'll see how the Pelicans do. And um, we will try very hard to have the whole team back next weekend for another round of the bird calls. Uh, for Ali Cosell, I'm David Grubb. And in the words of Preston Ellis, let's go Pelicans. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today look around you can find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader